Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you in worship this morning, and hello to all of you who are worshiping from many different locations online today. I know we got a lot of people that travel this time of year, so hey, stick with us. And if you do miss a weekend, you can always catch up on our archives online. I do have an announcement to make. Uh, Andrea and I have switched from push pay to Shelby. I was in my hotel room this week thinking about coming back uh, for this weekend and how, you know, this is a pretty critical thing to switch online giving platforms uh, because if people just forget to do that, you know, it gets harder to pay utilities around here. Um, So it's important that you uh, prioritize this and switch your giving to Shelby, but it hit me this week while I was at our annual meeting with the denomination that um, we've been asking you for three weeks to do that, and I have forgotten. So we are now giving through Shelby, and we love to sow our tithe into the ministries of this church, and if you call Redeemer home and you're not tithing right now, is a tremendous time to start. It is such a gift to sow back into what God is doing in the local church because he sows into us. Amen? And yeah, for you, we're not even asking you to switch. You just get to always be Shelby. All right. And by the way, she said it saves our church money. I think it's $15,000. So we're not switching just to hound you with announcements for four weeks. Uh, We're switching to be good stewards. Before we get into today's passage of Scripture, um, I want to share something with you that's on my heart. And I'm going to blame it on Pastor Leanne. Because she shared, and by the way, um, the second song that we sang in worship this morning, her and her daughter Bella just wrote. Uh, So I just love, I love the original music from our team uh, leading us in worship, but She shared an article with me this week, uh, and its title is The Bleeding of the Evangelical Church. And the author is David F. Wells, and what he's writing about is how the church is turning their backs on Scripture and walking away from doctrine. And the reason it's so heavy on my heart is because I have friends in ministry, I have pastoral colleagues who are also walking away from doctrine. And either they're interpreting scripture differently these days, they're trying to be culturally relevant, I don't know, but it's, it's heartbreaking. And so, let me read a, a, a short paragraph from this article. David F. Wells writes, we must recover the lost word of God. The problem is not, of course, that the Bible itself has disappeared. There are, in fact, enough Bibles in America to put one in every home. The problem is that we are not hearing the word of God. The church has been quietly unhitching itself from the truth of Scripture. If we do not recover the sufficiency of the word of God in our time, 
if we do not relearn what it means to be sustained by it, nourished by it, disciplined by it, and unless our preachers find the courage again to preach its truth, to allow their sermons to be defined by its truth, we lose our capacity to be the people of God. We have to recover a vivid otherworldliness by making ourselves once again captives to the truth of God, regardless of the cultural consequences. Love this cultural consequence, right? I mean, what are we up against? Culture? As if culture has the truth? No, we have the truth. Culture can't give us something that culture doesn't have. We have the truth. And so with a heaviness on my heart, just as recently as this week, seeing some pastoral colleagues not standing so firm in the truth, I just want, and as we continue to wrestle our way through Romans, um, you guys know you don't grow a church by preaching like five weeks in a row on sin. You know that, right? Like people aren't just busting in the back door. Give us more. Teach us more about sin. No. So as we wrestle through Romans, I just want to say this to you, beloved church family, that Redeemer Church is not and will not unhitch from the truth of Scripture. And... There's a beautiful applause. You just clapped like I told you the coffee's free today. I said, Redeemer Church will not ever unhitch from the truth of Scripture. Amen. And on behalf of Dave Brown and Leanne Benton and our pastoral staff and our preaching team, we will continue to preach the truth of God's Word regardless of cultural consequences. Bring on the consequences. God said they would come. Also, don't be surprised or discouraged when you see the truth of God increasingly abandoned, attacked, or rejected in today's culture. Consider what Paul wrote to Timothy. Preach the word with great patience and careful instruction. Listen to this. For the time will come. We were told this would happen. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. So keeping that in mind, Redeemer Church is not a hip church. In our meetings, we never talk about being culturally relevant. And I often tell our staff, don't you ever try to do anything sexy. We're going for authenticity, not sexy. We're not going to preach what itching ears want to hear. Instead, we affirm the centrality of God's word 
and we affirm the Old and New Testament as the word of God and the only perfect rule for all matters of faith, doctrine, and conduct, period. I'm gonna say that again. We affirm the centrality of God's word and the Old and New Testament as the word of God and the only perfect rule for all matters of faith, doctrine, and conduct. Boy, that's like, that's seven minutes of my sermon. But that's where we stand. Is that all right with everyone? I said, is that all right with everyone? Romans 6, 15 to 23. As you turn there, I'll remind you that last week I taught on 6, 1 through 14. And if you remember, Paul's primary concern in 1 to 14 is that a Christian is free from the power of sin and death. Y'all have got to be more vocal. You were more vocal last week. I said a Christian is free from the power of sin and death. But what do we do with that freedom? If we're free from the power of sin and death, well, what does that bring us to? This is Paul's primary concern in 15 to 23. His emphasis is on our new master. Our old master is sin, right? But we're set free. Our new master is righteousness and obedience. I was reminded this week of something that my dear predecessor who I love, Bill Clark, said right here in this pulpit like five years ago, and it still plays over and over in my mind. So as I say this to you right now, and it bruises your toes, you take that up with Bill. He said, the church is full of people who are educated far beyond their level of obedience. Talking the talk, but are we walking the walk? I pray that's not true for you and me. Okay, verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now this sounds familiar to you because this was in last week's text. This is the second time in this chapter that Paul asks this rhetorical question, and there's a message within his question. He's, at, he's, he's stating a message within the question. Here it is, the freedom of believers from the power of sin does not imply that we are free to sin. The freedom that we have from the power of sin does not imply that we are now free to sin. Quite the opposite, we're actually free not to sin, right? Verse 16, don't you know that when we offer, when you offer yourselves, To someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he uses this analogy of slavery, and that would have been a perfect analogy for any audience that Paul addressed during his day. It was a widespread practice. It's been estimated that perhaps the majority of the population of Rome was comprised of slaves, and certainly some if not many people in the church there in Rome were slaves. So Paul's analogy is just immediately understandable with his audience. But it's understandable in two different ways. One, there were slaves that were 
held against their will. They, they didn't want to be a slave, but they were a slave because they were a prisoner of war or they owed an extreme debt. And they were working off that debt with the family that they served. But the other kind of slave, very common in Paul's day, were voluntary slaves. They served as household servants and they did so for the purpose of their own personal welfare or even survival. In this century, the majority of people were living meal to meal, very poor. And so if they could serve as a household servant for a wealthy family, that ensured their survival, their welfare. So in Romans 5, Paul addresses those who are born as slave to sin, right? I mean, it's kind of against my will. You and I didn't sign the dotted line when we were born. Yep, I'm going to, yep, I'm a slave to sin. Nobody asked us that. That's just part of our human condition, right? But his, his primary focus here is those who are voluntarily slaves. How do we know he's talking to those who are voluntarily slaves? Well, it's the word offer. It's the word offer. Back to 16. You offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves. So we are slaves to who or what we obey. We are either a slave to sin or we are a slave to righteousness, to obedience. And I want to draw your attention to this particular passage. Does Paul mention a third way? No, Adam. There's no third way. Slave to sin, slave to righteousness. Slave to sin, slave to righteousness. There's no 50-50. There's no 60-40. There's no 80-20. There's no 99-1. We're not, we're, it's not like, you know, I'm going to be a slave to sin on Friday and Saturday, and then, man, Sunday morning, I'm back to righteousness. It's one or the other. The choice is ours. 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The phrase, but thanks be to God. I found this phrase in multiple places in Paul's writing, and it is most often used to signal God's reversal of some desperate situation. How many of y'all know that when you're a slave to sin, you are in a desperate situation? And you don't have a way out, partner. Over here. Anybody slave to sin, you are in a desperate situation. And you don't have a way out other than Jesus Christ. So Paul's using this, but thanks be to God. The Roman Christians no longer enslaved to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And another phrase worth mentioning in this passage is the following. You have come to obey from your heart. Well, Paul, notice, I want you to notice, if you do an exegetical study on this passage, Paul doesn't say you've come to obey because your parents just beat obedience into you. You have come to obey because you had to memorize scripture growing up. You have come to obey because that's what mom and dad said to do. Paul makes this personal. You have come to obey from your heart. This is a natural expression in Greek 
for a sincerely motivated behavior. This is a truly heartfelt change. 19, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer, there it is again, yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul's readers had spent their energy in sexual immorality and socially destructive behaviors, but now they have a responsibility of standing apart from that behavior and living as God's people. And many interpreters of Romans take this verse as Paul claiming that, hey, I'm not asking for too much, right? When we see this, be a slave to righteousness, that's a pretty daunting passage. How do I do that? Paul's going, I'm not asking for much. I mean, the demand here is not unreasonable. Paul's just saying, give the same level of energy and effort and intentionality that you pour in to your, your, your sin, master, just give the same level into righteousness. See, we're not, we're not taking Paul's teaching and going from no master to a new master. That'd be hard. We're transitioning from one master, sin, to a new master. See, we're already obedient to the first when we're slaves to sin. He's just saying, pour the same energy, the same effort, the same intentionality into being a slave to righteousness. Everybody doing okay? Okay. Third century Christian scholar and theologian, Origen of Alexandria, also known as Origen Adamantius. Adamantius. He wrote about what happens when a believer dies to one master, which is sin, and submits to a new master, righteousness. He writes this, Paul requires the same zeal from the convert as was present in him as a sinner. Look, once your feet ran to the temples of demons, now they run to the church of God. Once your hands were stretched out to steal what belonged to others, now they're stretched out for you to be generous with what is your own. Once your eyes looked at women or something which was not yours with lust, now they look at the poor and the weak and the helpless with compassion. Your ears used to delight in hearing empty talk or attacking good people, and now they've turned to hearing the word of God, to the exposition of the law and to the learning of the knowledge of wisdom. Your tongue, which was accustomed to bad language, cursing and swearing, it is now turned to praising the Lord at all times. It produces healthy and honest speech in order to give grace to your hearers and speak truth to your neighbor. See, it's just transitioning from one master to a new master. So to repeat myself, this demand is not unreasonable. Just give the same level of obedience to righteousness that you once showed to impurity, immorality, and lawlessness. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin... You were free from the control of righteousness. I love this question here. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Here we find Paul relating to his readers and relating to you and to me. Because on the other side of our conversion, we carry with us the shame of, and the regret and the guilt of what we did pre-conversion, Right? See, Jesus invites us into this new life in Christ. He says, behold, the old is gone, the new is here in your Bible. But last week we looked at the Greek. It says, behold, the new is born. 
This is a new creation. This is a new foundation in Christ, and we don't have to bring our past with us. But what do we do? Thank you, Lord, for the newness. Just a second, please. I'm going to just nicely fold all of my past mistakes, all my shame, all my regret, all the guilty feelings that I have, and I'm going to put them in this little suitcase and just tug it along with me into my new self in Christ. You know, Jesus looks at that suitcase and just shakes his head. Like, you're redeemed. Don't bring it with you. It's in the past. But Paul is relating here to us, right? Look, he understood as he was ashamed of the violence that characterized his previous way of life. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle because of the way I persecuted the church, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Even though I was a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, 1 Timothy 1, 13. And at one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, Titus 3, 3. You hear the shame? You hear the regret? As he recounts the days in which he was a slave to sin? But, there's a but. 22. But, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. The expression but introduces a contrast to the way of life that Paul's readers used to lead. The old self is dead. Freedom from sin means freedom from sin. And for those of you who are carrying that suitcase, two weeks from now, we'll go to chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you be sure if you have been a faithful attender to Redeemer Church during these four weeks where we've highlighted sin, be sure you're here for 8.1. The NIV says the benefit you reap leads to holiness, but I like this translation better. And this is how the Greek works, works itself out. By the way, I saw my former seminary professor, uh, Dr. Dennis Edwards, uh, at the annual meeting this week, he gave me a big hug, and he said, are you preaching the Greek? And I go, a little bit. <laughs> he could come here and just preach in Greek. Not me. But I like this translation better. You have your fruit with sanctification as the result. Because if obedience and righteousness is our new master, then there will be fruit that follows, that is manifested in our lives through the fruit of the Spirit that's the benefit, and the outcome then is sanctification. This word for holiness in the NIV means sanctification. But get this, sanctification isn't just holiness. We like to say, if you're sanctified, you're holy. Sure, it's the process of becoming holy. It's not just, you know, like a potion that you drink and now you're holy. It's a process of becoming holier. Right? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everybody say process. You're a process. I'm a process. We have to keep in mind that a process is developmental. A process is a progression. A process has many chapters, right? So I'm going to tell you where Christians get into trouble. 
Do you want to know where we get into trouble? (laughs) So like all of you other than the seven that said yes, you can just plug your ears. You want to know where we get in trouble? We often focus on other people's sanctification process instead of focusing on our own. And you know that when you're looking at somebody else and you're evaluating their sanctification, wouldn't you admit that they're just not being sanctified as fast as you wish? Right? I just wish that sanctification process would speed up. (laughs) Right? We want God to sanctify other people, but we want to define what that process looks like in their lives. It's not our job. So I hope that you consistently feel encouraged by preaching here, but now I'm going to offer you this firm warning. If you compare your sanctification process with someone else, if you compare your righteousness with someone else's, if you gossip about someone else, or if you judge someone else based off of how sanctified they appear to be in your opinion, then maybe you should resign today from your judgment seat and you should focus more on your sanctification than someone else's. And by the way, we should never forget that no one, and I know this is surprising, but not even you and me, will ever achieve perfection in this life. The finish line is not here on earth. The last encouragement I would give you is this. Please don't be so surprised or frustrated or even angry when someone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and someone who does not know what the Bible says, please don't be so angry when they behave in an unsanctified way. What do you expect of them? If they're not redeemed by the blood of Jesus and they don't follow Scripture the way you do, be patient. Be nice. That's a good point for today's sermon. That should have been on the screen. Be nice. Especially to people who don't follow the same code of conduct that you do on the pages of Scripture. You know what's a better way of using your time and energy? You know, it's better than criticizing someone who's not a believer, not a follower of Jesus. You know, it's better than criticizing them for their unsanctified lifestyle. Share the gospel with them. Love them. Serve them. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Exhale. You have successfully endured another sermon about sin. And we're going to end with some good news. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is the greatest reversal of debt in the history of all creation. We are sinful and our sin only earns us death. Death is our destiny if we are under sin's control, but eternal life is the destiny of those who have been transformed by the free gift of salvation given by God through Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Christ died, we died. Christ was raised, we are raised. Christ lives to God, we live to God. Christ lives forever, we live forever. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, stand up and worship. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.